Hi, everybody. It's Michelangelo Caruso. I'm here with Dana Vogelmeyer. She's in Ohio. Hi, Dana. Hi, Michael. Dana is one of the most interesting people I've met in a while. She helps companies solve a problem that is very, very serious. And uh, a lot of times the companies don't even know they have the problem. She helps companies improve workplace culture. Do I have that correct? That is correct. I want to learn more about this. Before we get started, please know that you are uh, welcome, of course, to like or comment on this video if you're uh, watching on YouTube. If you're not watching on YouTube and you want to subscribe to my YouTube channel, you'll see more uh, interviews with interesting people like Dana Vogelmeyer. Um, the company, Dana, is Vogelmeyer Consulting. And uh, before we're done here, we're going to help people understand all the crazy stuff that happens in the workplace, mm -hmm. why people would hire someone like you to come in and fix things for them, and what a monumental task that can be sometimes because culture is a hard thing to move. Why is culture so obstinate? Well, I think one of the big reasons is because it's so ingrained and sometimes we don't even realize it. Like something is part of the culture yeah. and no one's ever even defined it yeah. or said, what are the things? Because culture is really about like how we do things around here. So what is our way? What are our signs? What words do we use? What do we accept or not accept? And it's kind of like you can get into um, complacency and just going with emotions day in and day out. And you don't purposefully examine those things that might not be helping you get to the next level, you know, to increase your retention of employees or increase your productivity. We yeah. just do what we've always done. You know, uh, I do a fair amount of work with various companies myself. And I, I would see when I go into the companies, um, I think we confuse culture for uh, mission statements and vision statements and our handbook of policy and procedures. You know, that's not your culture. In fact, the things that you address are sometimes the things that are unwritten in the policy and procedure manual. And by the way, not for nothing, everybody, most corporate mission statements, which companies spend scads of time on, you know, collecting the, you know, the whiteboards and the papers, the post-its around the room, and then they synthesize it all down to one, then they wordsmith it. They pay companies, you know, big money to do this. And I rarely see a mission statement or a vision statement that looks different than anybody else's. Everybody wants to provide quality uh, products and services to their team. They want to do it in a, uh, uh, what's another buzzword, a, a diverse uh, organization that values the individual. I mean, you see the same stuff over and over again, right? Right. And yet right. the company is special and has its own culture. That's the stuff that you don't see on the website, in my opinion. That's right. That's what the people are saying about the organization. Yeah. That's really what the culture is. And so do the employees speak highly? of the organization. And in some they're cases, it's not what they're saying at work, it's what they're saying over a beer at the pub. Afterwards. Right. That's the culture. Mm -hmm. uh, fascinating. Uh, Dana, everybody, is um, uh, started uh, Vogelmeyer Consulting to, as we say, help with these workplace culture scenarios. She has 35 years of work experience, including 25 years of leading diverse teams. There's that word again and working for a multitude of leaders. Over the years, she began to do, examine the differences to the teams that she worked in and led. 
by your own admission, some of those teams ran like magic and some of them struggled to find harmony. Um, mm -hmm. So she decided to open her own shingle and now she's working with technology firms, school districts, banks, insurance companies, anybody that has issues like this. You have a master's degree in leadership. Good for you. I, I know some leaders that I wished had a master's degree in leadership. <laughs> Uh, designation of Certified Professional in Talent Development, that's CPTD, to those of you not in the trade. And you're a facilitator for an organization that you've talked about a lot, the Association of Talent Development. Um, you're actively involved at the local and national level, that's Ohio to you and me, with the Association of ATD, and, and also with Rotary International. So you're a fellow Rotarian, I appreciate you. And I think that's how our worlds collided initially is uh, Rotary Connections. We're also both, by the way, students of um, the speaking trade. And I know that you do great work live and you're, you're working uh, to improve as we all are, our, our online presence, especially in light of uh, the fact that online training is becoming suddenly more popular. What are the, some of the trends that you see in workplace culture? What, why um, do, you get, do you keep getting phone calls? So I think one of the big things is there are no shortage of jobs out there that are unfilled. And if you are an employer that's trying really hard to get good talent and retain that talent, then you've got to offer something better than your competitors, whatever, whatever that might be. So we hear things like, you know, the ping pong tables and, you know, that kind of stuff or a different kind of perk, like unlimited vacation. And none of those are going to matter if people go to work and they feel like they're treated poorly. Yeah. And if they drive in every day thinking, I hate going to work here, or I don't like my boss, or I don't like my coworkers, you know, those things matter. And people will go somewhere else and even take less money, fewer perks, longer drive to get away from some of those bad things. So you really have to examine why people are leaving or why we're not getting a lot of productivity. And it doesn't even have to be leaving because sometimes the people who aren't great or aren't good stay and just do just enough to not get fired. That's a big and that's hurting you. That's hurting your bottom line and your productivity. Yeah, that's a bigger problem than, than leaving is staying and being unhappy. Right. Cars don't rust anymore, but I always, back in the day, the analogy I used was, it was like you had a piece of rust on your car. I mean, you're never, ever going to fix that. You can try to contain it and mitigate it, but it's always going to be that weak, that weaker piece of quarter panel, you know, that's been eaten out by salt in the wintertime or whatever. Corrosive mm -hmm. in nature. Um, so you make an interesting point that when companies try to differentiate and tell us how great they are and, and how special they are, they always mention the stuff. We have ping pong tables. We have uh, uh, more um, uh, personal days and wh whatever acronym you're using to describe it. But for them to talk about the feeling that, that companies have, this feeling of loyalty, this feeling of uh, community, you know, that's a hard thing to put into writing and then that sounds sappy. Right. It reminds me of Rotary a bit, actually, because that's one of the Rotary's challenges. Rotary is a hard sell to some people because it's hard to talk about that feeling that you have when you do something nice for other people. So, so when you go into these companies, you've got to get people to talk about their feelings, I'm assuming. How's that go? Yes. Um, and it's sometimes it's even to just kind of 
walking in and looking around and are people smiling and you know what words are being used are they cordial with one another are you hearing nothing or you know do, are they being mean to each other um sometimes even things like is the place dirty mm -hmm. you know how how do employees feel about taking care of the work environment um what is the what are the signs that are up and one really simple one that i pointed out one time was um when people walked in there was a sign with the red cir red circle and then the line through it and there was a gun and it said no weapons allowed yeah. and it was inside the company it wasn't like on the outside that you see a lot of times you know yeah. and so i felt like okay i'm walking into this department which is the department i was doing work for and i said you know it doesn't feel very welcoming couldn't yeah. you in instead we're already inside remember so couldn't you instead have a sign that says have a great day or thanks for being here we appreciate yeah. you yeah that's going to give me a different feeling when i walk into that department the no gun side on the inside of the building has my mind alive like um and we don't have that here in Michigan, even though there's a, what's called open carry. And by the way, this is an important part of this conversation. It is not a, a, a tangent because society is changing everybody and workplace cultures are changing with them. Uh, just a little preamble to what I'm about to say. Each generation seems like it's more casual than the generation before it. Think about how people used to dress 200 years ago, just men's attire. We had hats. We had an extra collar on our shirt. We had a vest and a, and a jacket and an overcoat. We had spats and suspenders and all this, you know, bling. And, uh, and now you're lucky if you can get people to wear long pants and socks to work. That's right. So, and also language has become more casual. So a lot, a lot, of, stuff's be, a lot of stuff's changing. Back to the gun thing. Uh, so the, to me, because. I'm not a gun person and not that I don't need to get political here. It's just my, who I am as a person. I'm not a gun person. So when I'm walking into a building and it has a sign that says no guns allowed, the first thing I start to think is, well, they must have had gun issues here before, which is a negative for me, right? Like if I had a choice between which insurance broker to use and one of them didn't have a gun issue and one of them did, I'm not sure I would make my decision based on that alone, but it goes into the blender. Right. And so when I see the sign on the inside that says no guns, I'm thinking these people have issues and they're crazy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the signs in the wrong place, man. Mm -hmm. That's uh, absolutely right. Yeah. And you know, when you say that about the clothing too, you know, that speaks to the culture. And, you know, if people want to come in wearing something casual, I think that's one thing, but is it professional? And like it or not, it speaks to the organization and what kind of things you stand for what do you tolerate what do you accept yeah. and you know i think you can still be casual and you can be clean and professional you think i do think but when i started i remember many many years ago and i'm sorry about that um we had to wear closed-toed shoes and I, pantyhose and a i remember suit. that i remember those days yeah yeah and then over time and and i even remember having a conversation with one of my friends once saying i wore open-toed shoes to work today like that was a huge deal you know why did, why did <laughs> but that's did, what you're saying you know over time different things yeah so are, why did that happen why don't women wear pantyhose to work and this sounds like a dumbass question i actually don't know the answer why don't women wear pantyhose to work anymore <laughs> 
They're uncomfortable. That's my opinion. But they were uncomfortable back then. Yeah, but you had to wear them back then. Who said? It was a rule at work. You know, closed-toed shoes. All work. Closed-heeled and pantyhose. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then somebody decides, like, there was a memo? Yeah. Like, going to casual dress was a huge memo. It started with casual Friday, as I recall. Right. It was casual Friday. Now it's casual every day. Yeah, now it's casual every day. And people wear (laughs) flip-flops. Yeah. 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 And that does show a little more relaxed and it might be okay. I think it depends on what it is you're selling, what it is you're representing. I don't know. This is just me personally. I don't know if when I go in to see my CPA to do my taxes, I do not want to see my CPA wearing shorts and a Hawaiian shirt and flip-flops. It gives me a thought about what this work environment is like. And I want to know it's accurate. He's paying attention to all the details. He's professional. He's knowledgeable. Don't get me in any trouble. (laughs) I'm hiring you to not do these things wrong. I don't know the rules. So I want to know who I'm dealing with and what kind of a work environment is. So the no flip-flops thing and no pantyhose or yes pantyhose thing, that's like an easy read in a policy and procedure manual. For me, the more troublesome stuff, and maybe this is a stickier wicket for you too, because you're the one who has to communicate to these decision makers about, right, and influencers, how they're going to improve their culture, is how do you say, well, you can wear flip-flops, but you're going to have to t- cut your toenails more than once every three months. <laughs> because it's the nuance. It's not, because you, can, you almost can't push back against casual footwear anymore. I remember... Starbucks said for a long time, no visible ink. Do you remember this? No. And then they, they walked it back because they had trouble finding enough people who were willing to work that didn't have visible ink. I mean, they bothered to get all of this adornment and then they damn well want to make sure people see it. And then Starbucks was supposed to be this uh, progressive company that had this forward leaning culture, you know, but, but then uh, I'm looking at my watch. The policy and procedure manual said no visible ink. And everybody's like, who are you really? Mm-hmm. And they had to recant. And now, of course, all things are allowed, I think. Piercings. And I don't, I'd be interested to see how they, if they cordon off any type of physical, what psychologists call signaling. Mm-hmm. What is your experience with companies? How do, they, how do they draw that line in the sand for different types of adornment? Mm-hmm. Well, so on that kind of an issue, I think that speaks to what you were talking about too, about how times have changed. That is much more mainstream now and very common at all ages. So, you know, I, I think, is that really the, the hill you want to plant your flag on, you know, cause that is going to impact who you can hire if you said, I don't want that. And it's so like I said, mainstream and acceptable at this point that, why would you say we're not going to do that? I think you'd have to examine that. But if you were an organization that said absolutely not, then that's the kind of culture that you're creating. It's a different experience. It's a different expectation. I think another good example is Uber. Remember the early days of Uber and some of the things that corporate-wide, not talking necessarily about the drivers, but in corporate in their early days, the things that they did. And a lot of those things were very kind of partying and 
you know, going to having their celebrations in Las Vegas and they got trouble for yeah, some stuff. Yeah, and got into some trouble. So then they've had to create some change in their culture and even brought in a new CEO with that specific charge that, you know, these are not things that are okay. We're not going to tolerate this kind of behavior. So Where even does, allegations of things like drugs and stuff like that. Yeah. When does when does this specificity about what kind of culture we want, when does that start bumping up against things like diversity and like personal values of, uh, and discrimination, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, yeah. yeah, that tattoo's good, that tattoo's good, that one, no, we, we can't hire you. Uh, I'm sure you'd never say that in a job interview, but that may be how it shakes out, and that person's mm-hmm. just a little bit over the top. What are the AC... AC ACLU, what's that called? ACLU. ACLU, Civil Liberty People. What do they say about this stuff? So I don't know what the ACLU says regarding that kind of thing or regarding that kind of issue. I do think that you, you know, have to look at things from the perspective of mainstream acceptance balanced with personal, um, you know, this is who I am you know, as a person, these are my unique characteristics and strengths and talents and what I bring to the table. And then there's that third part of, you know, is there something offensive? You know, if you had a tattoo that was a, a like, you know, the F word, for example, you, that might not be something that you want your customers coming in and seeing. Yeah. So I don't know what the laws are around that, but I do think there's that delicate balance that you need to think about. Well, plus with, with culture, it's, it's not just what you see the day you hire the person because they roll up, the, they come into work the next day, they roll up their sleeves and there's the F word. Or uh, they decide to grow their hair long after they're at the company. Or a bunch of people at the company decide to grow their hair long. Uh, for those of you watching this video, ipso facto, we're in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis of uh, 2020. I don't know what we're going to call it later. I, I'm, gonna, I'm referring it to as the great... COVID-19 slowdown of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> Three days ago, the midnight shift at Mount Sinai Hospital in Michigan, I'm ashamed to say, uh, went on strike, allegedly to protest poor working conditions. Uh, so where everybody's mind went right away was, well, we don't have enough ventilators, we didn't have enough protection, and we don't want to work under these conditions anymore. But if you dug deeper into the story, they had been sparring with management union had been sparring with management about pay for several years and the COVID-19 was like the straw that broke the camel's back I imagine at some point the tail starts to wag the dog you can set up whatever kind of culture you want if the team decides to do a mutiny you've got a fork in the road and do you get called in for those type of scenarios So I could potentially, and I will share one specific example that I had um, where a unit, a particular unit in this large division wanted to strike. And what happened instead was I was part of that leadership team. And so uh, there were three of us in in this leadership uh, structure. And we kind of had some conversation about it and everything and brought the group in. We had heard that they wanted to go on strike because, and they were not union, they just wanted to walk out. 
um, they wanted to strike because they felt that they did more work than all the other teams. And they thought this because of the shift that they were on. It was just in their minds, like we do more work, so we should get paid more. And I pulled the data to compare whether or not they did do more work because that's what they were alleging. So when we brought them in, we had that information kind of in our back pocket, but it really became a conversation around, you know, we heard you were going to walk out and we had this meeting before that happened. And first, before you were going to do that, why wouldn't you talk to us? Because we had worked really hard to create a great workplace, really hard, very intentional about meeting with people all the time, being visible, being open, having lots of um, like open door meetings or talent um, focus group meetings and things like that. We were very intentional about creating a great workplace. Yeah. We had good rewards. Um, and so we were kind of hurt, like, why wouldn't you at least just talk to us first? And then starting that conversation and then people said, well, this or whatever, but I mean, it moved into a whole different conversation. We never even had to get into the conversation about the data. I would think that one of the tenets, the unstanding, unshakable tenets of a good, strong workplace would be good comms, good communication. Mm -hmm. Are there, are, is there a short punch list of two or three or four things that you would say every good workplace culture should have? Yes, for sure. I would say communication is at the top of the list. And then that builds into those good relationships, because I think if you have a good work relationship with your boss, that is of the utmost importance. You need to know that your boss cares about you and knows you as a human in addition to someone at work and what your work dreams are, but also good colleagues and coworkers and a team. And um, I love, I read all the stuff from Gallup because they do a lot of research on this kind of thing. And one of the stats from Gallup that I love says that you are 150% more likely to stay at a job where you have a best friend at work. Yeah. Because you look forward to seeing your best friend every day when you go in. Yeah, 100%. It gives you a good feeling and you like them, right? So you're not going to leave there. I won't see my best friend every day. Yeah. Marcus Buckingham, one of the co-authors of uh, First Break All the Rules, said that the relationship between the middle manager and the subordinate is the most important relationship at any organization. It wasn't the, how the president no. and CEO related to everybody. It was this day-to-day -day thing. Right. That, that's where the magic was. Right. Because so, those um, are the people doing like the work with your customer and how people feel and speak with customers, the quality of the product yeah. is a direct reflection of how engaged they are at work. Like yeah. if they don't care whether or not, you know, the boss is happy or if the company is successful, it's going to be reflected in the product. Right. So good comms, good relationships, Integrity and trust, I'm guessing, is another one. Certainly trust. Yeah, and I think that comes in with those relationships. Okay. You know, I think visibility is important. You don't want to be always kind of tucked away. Um, it just breeds people to think, like, what's going on? You know, is there something that maybe there's happening behind the scenes we don't know about? And I also think, especially at that frontline level, good rewards. And it doesn't always have to be money. It can sometimes just be a thank you or, you know, some kind of other recognition. But, you know, think about that for even you, Michael, or, or anybody that maybe has been in the work world. If you're not appreciated or valued, do you really want to go in and do great work? Yeah, 100%.
Probably I worked not. in a company for a while, and they had a pretty good work culture, I think, if you, if you polled everybody in the company. I was on the sales team, and the uh, sales manager was rolling out another incentive program. This is very common in the sales trade for um, the next quarter or whatever. And the reward, let's say it was a flat screen TV or something. And they roll it out. We're going to give you stuff if you perform. Um, and uh, I didn't like those contests. And finally, my sales manager called me into her office and she said, you know, it doesn't seem like these, you, you, you like these contests. It doesn't seem like you even try to win the prize. And I said, uh, well, you're right. I don't. I, I don't really... I'm not really motivated by winning a prize. And besides, when one of us wins the prize, all the rest of us have to lose the prize. I mean, what's so incentivizing about that? I'm not, she, about that time, she's sorry she even called me into the office. But, but then she got to the gist of it. And she said, well, what does motivate you, Michael? And I say, well, I like attention. And she, it was like I, to, I had tossed a live grenade into her tent. She didn't even know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. Attention in the terms of, and when I was speaking of, and we talk more about it later, um, compliments, praise, um, 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 maybe asking me to take part in the training sessions where I could parlay a little bit of information, something I was good at maybe for the rest of the team. And um, uh, I don't think she ever got it, Dana, even though I explained it to her several times. It just wasn't something that culture was able to proffer. Yeah. Do you run into companies that I mean, you, they pay you money to tell them what to do. You tell them what to do, and then they, they either do this or they can't do it for some reason. Yeah, not everybody loves it, kind of like your example. You know, like she had one thought. It, she didn't have the growth mindset, right? She had one thought. Well, everybody will work for this incentive, and people are different. But, you know, I remember one in particular with um, a school district that I worked with, and one of the leaders really the biggest issue within that organization came from one small unit. And it was really two people in that unit that were stirring it up for everybody else. Wow. And the leader of that uh, group just kind of, you know, shrugged his shoulders a little bit like, well, you know, that's how they are. Yeah. And sure, that is how they are. But you as the leader have a responsibility to help them understand the impact they're having on others and the impact that's having on their career, their raises, their productivity, it's more than, you know, just, oh, that's how someone is. And sometimes when you help someone see how they are, like hold the mirror up and say, when you say that, this is how everybody else feels, or this is what they hear, or this is what they think of you. That can really influence somebody, that can change. And I remember that happening to me as a very young leader when I very first became a leader, one of, um, one of my, well, my most favorite boss of all time, he gave me some really tough feedback and it was literally like he held the mirror in front of me and said, when you say that, like he gave a specific example, when you say that, this is what everybody else in the room thought. And I was like, oh, well, I, I didn't mean for it to come out like that. And he's like, I know that, but no one else did. So that feedback, helped me change and it helped influence how productive my team was. But don't we get to a place where it's the same feedback, you know, ad nauseum year after year. And th these people start feeling like, you know, nothing they can say or do will make those two people happy. 
are you saying that you should never ever stop trying or are you saying you can try to a certain point and then there might be some other uh, uh, contingency plans? Yeah. So I like how you say that. <laughs> I call it redirect them. And sometimes you have to redirect them outside the organization. If they're hindering your team and your productivity and your profitability, they're not a good member. And it's that old adage about the right person and the right seat on the right bus. You know, they're not what you need. And they, you know, sometimes even they're nice people and they just don't know how to do the tasks or the tasks have changed and now they can't change with that job. You know, if, if it's somebody you want to keep, you might be able to give, put them in another role, but you have to think about what's best for the organization. Yeah. And sometimes it is redirecting out. Sometimes it could be redirecting to another job or another yeah. area of the organization. That's widely, I mean, as a leader, it's hard. You've got to make those tough calls sometimes and it's not all going to be easy or, or you wouldn't be needed. Yeah. Well, you certainly know what you're talking about. I can see why you're in demand for this type of thing, not only in the Midwest, uh, but uh, points unknown. Um, for those of you that want to know more about Dana and what she does, she's at Vogelmeyer Consulting, and I shall spell it for you. V-O-G-E-L-M-E-I-E-R-C-O-N-S-U-L-T-I-N-G. Consulting is just like it sounds. Vogelmeyer is not too far off. Uh, and I'll put information about this into the uh, show notes where people can find you. Um, you see any trends coming up, things that uh, business owners and uh, HR people can keep an eye on? Is it, is it going to be more of the same? Well, I think this, this unique time that we're in right now, you know, the COVID crisis, and there's a lot more, you know, companies are impacted. And so businesses are impacted. They're laying off or furloughing or whatever. And I do think people need to be more compassionate about the situation and not as a leader, not think so much about yourself, but like these other folks that maybe you are laying off, it could be you next. But I think that compassionate leadership is really important. I also think that in these unique times when people are so stressed out because they might have kids at home and they're teaching their kids or maybe somebody in the household lost a job or whatever it is, you know, having a little grace with people can go a long way um, in how that relationship will build. Um, it's just a different time and to manage in the same exact way that you did when everything pre coronavirus won't be the same. I also um, just shared recently with one of my clients and I'm happy to send it to you, Michael, too. Um, 10 ways to have fun and levity when you're meeting like this now, because it is hard. It is stressful. Sometimes tough decisions have to be made and people are having tough things going on at home. So if you can add a little bit of levity and make people smile and feel a little bit better for 10 minutes in a meeting by doing something fun, I think that's really important right now. And, and we will change and evolve to something different than what we're in today, what we were in before, but you have to adapt is really the key and not, not just go through the motions. You really need to pay attention. I love it. You've got a fantastic Facebook group that I belong to. Will you tell people how they can join it and get ongoing uh, tips and strategies and good examples of, of corporations and businesses doing the right thing for their cultures? How can people join this group? Yes, it's on Facebook called Making Great Workplaces. 
and I share tips and ideas and strategies about how to make a great workplace. And I ask other people to share their ideas too. So you'll see mostly what's on there comes from me, but you might see some comments from other people about some things they're doing. Fantastic. Well, you're a good person, you're talented, and I, I couldn't think of a better person for the job of improving workplaces all over North America. Thanks for all you do, Dana. Thank you, Michael, and back at you. My pleasure. So it's Vogelmeyer Consulting, everybody, Dana Vogelmeyer, and this is something that you have to be vigilant about because these cultural shifts happen almost undercover, you know, in the darkness of the night. You get up one day, you come into work, how do we get to be like this? Mm -hmm. And it's because somebody took their eye off the ball or whatever. Um, I just think that vigilance has its own reward. Dana, thanks again. Thank you. I appreciate it.